in their tabernacle and in the temple that was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of Covenant was kept, where the seraphim were over the Ark and where the Holy Shekinah of God dwelt. It is the holy room where God himself dwelt. And only once a year could anyone enter that room and that was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. A very sacred room. Interestingly, that is the word that is used all three times in the New Testament when what we render as a temple of Holy Spirit is spoken of. A worldwide church, the body of the individual believer, and the local church. This local church is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have come together. The Holy Spirit resides with us. Jesus said, where two or three are, are gathered together in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. So Christ is here every time we come together. Because the local church, and that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 3, because it is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the local church is sacred. And here's what Paul said. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? He's speaking of this local church, the church of Corinth. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. It's a downright scary thing to be responsible for causing a division the death of a local church. See, in Corinth, that was the problem. The church was full of divisions. In chapter 1, Paul says, I hear there are many divisions among you. And at one point, he says, some of you say, I'm of Cephas, and some say, I'm of Apollos, and some of Paul, some of Christ was, 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 was Apollos crucified for you? In whose name were you baptized? And so that church was fraught with divisions and is on the verge of being destroyed because of that division. Paul, in essence, said, anyone that destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him because the temple of God is holy. And every one of us needs to remember that. This is something sacred beyond human understanding, really, that we are together the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let us remember the importance of respecting leadership. Leaders who will be accountable to God for how they take care of the flock. You know, I've, I've often said no one would dare be an elder unless he is called of God or an outright idiot. <laughs> because elders are going to stand before God someday and give answer for how they shepherded the flock. Now, it's one thing to give answer for oneself, but to give answer for a flock? What a thought. Acts chapter 20, we find Paul in verse 17 calling the elders of Ephesus to Miletus. Now, he and his companions were sailing back toward Jerusalem and the ship stopped at Miletus. It was a seaport, and they were waiting to board another vessel to sail on to Jerusalem. They didn't know how long they would have to wait. They had to wait for the winds to be right for a ship to come along going that way. 
And Paul wanted to visit with the elders of Ephesus, but he, he was afraid that if he traveled 25 miles inland to Ephesus, he might miss the ship. And so he sent to the elders at Ephesus to come to meet with him at Miletus. And so in verse 17 and 18 and following, you find that meeting taking place and the important things that Paul said to them, especially verse 28. Be on guard. This is what he was saying to the elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then he goes on to warn them. He said, there are going to be ravaging wolves come in trying to divide the flock. He said, even some among you are going to bring in false doctrines to draw people away. What a responsibility. Notice he was talking to the elders, and he said, you are overseers, and you are shepherds of the flock. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, in other words, not for a big salary, all the elders would say that's really where they are, <laughs> but with eagerness. And here's a key, nor yet as lording it, over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Notice both what he said in Acts 20, 28, and what Peter wrote here in 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders are described as being among the flock, not over. Isn't that interesting? Among the flock. How many times have we seen pictures of a shepherd with his flock and he's walking around surrounded by them? Not like a cowboy driving them. Sometime ahead and they're following, but so often surrounded by them. It's so sad that sometimes in churches we see an abuse of authority. Paul said, or rather Peter wrote, not lording it over but be examples before the flock. And then in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who would give account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. As I say, the elders of this flock someday will have to stand before God give account for how they shepherded. I want you to know the elders take that very seriously. Some weeks ago, I don't even remember what the discussion was all about, but it was something that was complicated and difficult and somewhat challenging, and I remember one elder, and I'll not reveal who it was, said, God has made us shepherds over this flock, and the weight. Shepherds have a great responsibility. 
I, I hate to mention this, but it's uh, Hebrews 13, 17, where it says obey and submit to them. The word translated submit is the word that's used for two wrestlers who are wrestling. One of them finally says, I give up, you win. <laughs> that's uh, not necessarily a picture we want for the congregation of elders, but that's the word that's used there, submit. Let us remember the importance of encouraging one another through gathering together. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us remember to continue to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains the sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversary. Why should we attend a service on Sunday? First of all, the most important thing is to come to the Lord's table. And there to have reminded again, we're going to spend eternity together, brothers and sisters, because Jesus paid the price for us on the cross. And it is important every Sunday that we have that opportunity to never let that get out of our minds, to be reminded of it. But there's also something else. As we receive the physical elements, there seems to be also some spiritual injection as well. Something happens in our spirit in a beautiful way. And so the first and most important reason to attend the service on Sunday is to partake of the Lord's Supper. The second most important reason is to encourage one another because if we sin willfully. Notice that. The devil is always crouching, trying to grab us and bringing down his path. And one way we can help one another avoid falling into that trap is by being together and encouraging one another as we walk together toward heaven. It is important that we gather together regularly. You notice that now this is the time of year, of course, when folks are traveling and that's understood. But it's a fact, a human fact, that occupied seats encourage, empty seats discourage. And this church, you know, it's almost like we have assigned seats, don't we? Everybody sits in the same seat every Sunday. And when we look around and see your seat empty, there's just something there. That encouragement isn't there. There would be there if you were in your seat. It's important to take seriously encouraging one another by being faithful to gathering together. Let us also remind ourselves of the meaning of the word koinonia and its implications. Koinonia we usually translate with the English word fellowship. Sadly, that word 
does not convey accurately the the meaning that is in, contained in the word itself. The word koinonia carries the idea of the mutual exchange of life. You know, it's not just a fellowship dinner. Notice in Acts 2.42, it says, and here's the way the Greek reads, and they continued steadfastly in the doctrine of the apostles, in the breaking of the bread, not breaking bread. Breaking bread, you go from meal house to house, but the breaking of the bread, that's a euphemism for the Lord's Supper, in the fellowship and in the prayers. So it wasn't just devoted to fellowship, but to the fellowship and to the prayers, implying that there were prayer times of church gathered together, but the fellowship. Why would we call a local congregation a fellowship? Koinonia, on a human level at least, implies mutual exchange of life, and even a mutual dependency. And we've illustrated this in the past by the heart and the lungs. My heart beats and pumps the blood, and my lungs survive because the heart is pumping the blood. The lungs oxygenate the blood, and my heart survives because the lungs oxygenate the blood. These organs are mutually dependent on one another. And that's really the idea of koinonia. There's that beautiful uh, passage in, in uh, Ephesians 4 which talks about the body of Christ and how we come together, every joint supply us. The word translated joint is Office. It's really kind of a point of contact. In other words, when two Christians touch lives, this one imparts something to that one, and this one imparts something to that one, even when we're not aware of it. Jesus said, Out of their bellies would flow rivers of the living water. This spake he of the Holy Spirit that would be given to those who believe on him after he'd been glorified. And every time in the New Testament, where we read about the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's never a reservoir. It's always, the verb, Greek verb is always, it is a continued flow, like a fountain flowing into us and out of us. And any time two Christians have time together, the Holy Spirit flowing in them and out of them is mutually touching one another, and life is imparted. That's the sense of kononia. What a responsibility also is given to us in Ephesians 4. Paul is commenting, beginning with verse 11, on the various leadership gifts that God has given to the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and shepherd teacher. And he says these are given for the equipping of the saints. The Greek word there is katartismos, which means to help each gifted person find his place. Katartismos means to put in place. And this is done for the building up the saints. And then he talks about the growth that we should mature into to come to the full stature of the knowledge of Christ, he says. And then he says this. As a result, we're no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men or the craftiness of deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even the Christ. Now, 
discipleship groups have taken that verse and said this means we're to speak into one another's lives. That's not what this is talking about at all. The context is sound doctrine. And in our conversations with each other, we need to be careful that the things we're communicating to one another are accurate doctrine so we're not cast about by every wind of doctrine or well, I'll not say television, but anyway, craftiness and scheming of some. So we need to be careful in our speech with one another that what we're saying truly is the truth of God and not some strange opinion that might draw somebody aside. We need to remember to live a life of forgiveness. You remember Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, uh, now you've said so much about forgiveness. I want to get this right. Should I forgive my brother seven times? He thought that was generous. <laughs> Jesus said, oh, no, Peter. Jesus said, I'll not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And he wasn't saying, carry around a four-by-six card and cross off every time. And when you get to 490, you can smash them in the mouth. saying, let forgiveness be limited. Don't we have, I am so thankful you were forgiven, church. I'm thankful for Brian Goss. He had to forgive me of something this week, and I'd rather tell you what it is I'm saying, but live a life of forgiveness. I think I've spoken to you, I don't remember, about Tom Zabowski, who was going to Southern Sudan come through, they destroyed 20 to 30 years of work, the people had to flee, there was killing, people on the verge of starvation, cannibalism was taking place. And I didn't call Tom until he had been back home several days. I knew he would just need time to decompress. And when I talked to him, it was worse when he got there even than he had expected. And Tom was really experiencing PTSD. I sent out an also just, he was in a time of deep grief and didn't quite know himself. And he talked about one time when the chief, uh, two chiefs of neighboring villages and the elders said, we need to do something about this. And down on the River Nile, there was a large group of marauders, hundreds probably there, chiefs and their elders said, let's go talk to them. And so they were approaching them to talk to them, and the marauders then began shooting at them. And the villagers, armed, fired back. A hundred people were killed. No villagers, but a hundred marauders were killed. Sadly, some were women and children. And they fled across the And there's such terror in that place that every minute one is watching. At night, you can't use your cell phone, no lights. Everything has to stay in the dark for fear that 
someone will creep up on you. I found myself praying for the people of the village of Kogi. Praying for parents who have lost their children. But the Lord also spoke to me. Pray for them alone. The devil owns them. And every one of them is going to hell. Unless they get delivered. And hear the gospel of Jesus. And forgiveness is in the heart. forgive one another. You know, sometimes forgiveness makes you feel so good. You wish people do bad things to you so you know the joy of forgiving. <laughs> and what happens to you happens to me. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Philippians 2, 4, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Everyone should please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. And you know, that, I believe, and this is not to brag, but just state a fact, that's true in this church, isn't it? When somebody here is weeping, we weep in our hearts. When someone has a great blessing, they're just rejoicing. Somebody finally gets a job when they've been hunting one, and we all have a whoopee in our hearts. What a blessing that God in this body has created that kind of love and bonding and identity with one another. You know, sometimes we have to help one another get over our yesterdays. Remember the Beatles song, Yesterday All My Troubles Seem So Far Away? Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Of course, he's singing about a girlfriend or something. But I think everybody in this room today can look back to some yesterdays. Something you did that caused something in your life that you're still having to live with. Maybe it's a physical injury some sickness that you deal with because of years of drug overdose, whatever. <laughs> I think everybody in this room can look back to some yesterdays. And sometimes those yesterdays become bondage. We need to help one another get over our yesterdays. Of course, there's some wonderful yesterdays, aren't there? You know, when I see Nathan and Taylor, my heart leaps with joy. That was a great yesterday when they got married, wasn't it? Matter of fact, I can't think of them separately anymore. So we have great yesterdays we don't want to get over. We rejoice with one another in those. 
Most of us have some of the other kind, and we need one another to help get over those yesterdays. And then a part of Kononia is helping one another in time of physical need. James chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, to be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What is that? First John 3. Whoever has his world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? In Galatians 6.10, So while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household. Probably the greatest example of that is in, well, one at least, in the church in Jerusalem. You remember the situation where on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ. Many of them were pilgrims to Jerusalem. They didn't have jobs and had places to live, and many of them stayed. And so the Jerusalem Christians began to sell their belongings to have a, a common treasury out of which everybody could be supported. Now, we don't see that happening in any other church. Every place else, people had houses that the church met in and so on, but the Jerusalem church did that because it was that kind of need and there was that kind of love. I've read a situation of one of the ancient churches, one of the church fathers, and he writes about Christians who have sold themselves into slavery in order to have money to help widows and others. And some sold themselves in slavery to have enough money to buy another slave out of slavery. It's striking, isn't it, that such a thing as that would take place. And you know, in this body, we've seen that happen. What a beautiful thing. Over the years, we have seen the members of this church care for one another. government, but it's done willingly. What a blessing to be a part of Kononia. What a blessing to receive new members. What a blessing to have all of us old ones around, too, <laughs> that we can unite together. Dear God, we thank you that in your great wisdom and overwhelming love, you sovereignly have chosen to give us to each other as well as accepting you into your own arms again. Let us know how to glorify Christ in a greater way in this church. We ask you to show us how to glorify Christ in a greater way in our relationships with one another. Thank you for being so good to us. Through Jesus.